Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Good, how are you doing? Good, I'm glad you're here. God's good. It's for some of you. Yeah, I can hear that. That's great. If you're new again from me, also want to welcome you. Glad that you decided to spend your Sunday with us. Um, and I pray that this morning's message will, will bless you, encourage you, strengthen you, um, um, motivate you to go after God even more than what you've done before. Uh, God's for you. He's not against you. He's on your side. Um, I want to start off this morning's message by asking, um, do you ever think about death? Isn't that a nice topic? Now, if you say no, you're not alone. A CBS poll revealed that most people in North America spend very little or any time at all thinking about their own death. The same poll revealed that three out of four believe every person will either go to heaven, people will go to heaven or to hell. Three out of four people believe that. That's 75% of the people that they asked who think about death. Um, out of those, 66% of them believe in both heaven and hell, which means there's, there's 9% of them that only believe in heaven. They don't believe in heaven and hell. They only believe in heaven. What's most fascinating to me is out of the 66% who believes in heaven and hell, um, out of those, 82% of them expect to go to heaven. Which is a good, that's a good thing. We've got a lot of people that expect to go to heaven. That's a good thing. Whereas only two of them, 2%, not two, but 2%, actually believe that they would go to hell. <laughs> that for me is a little shocking. <laughs> Are you still kind of okay with it? You believe in it, and then you're like, yeah, well, that's where I'm going. Um, now, I want to tell you, like, talking about death and heaven and hell and all, all of those topics, it's, it's hard to talk about those topics for me in church because I'm, I believe that Christ died so that we can have life. So we always speak about life. Um, so why should we talk about death? Because I think so many of us are too busy living that we, we hardly ever think about what's going to happen after, afterwards. Th- there's... Growing trends, though, in the world, which I also find so fascinating. When you start searching a topic um, uh, and the googly gives you such amazing information. Um, so, so there's currently in the U.S., there are places that's called death diners. Um, and it's where people go, they gather over dinner, and then they talk about death, their deaths. Wouldn't that be a fun evening? <laughs> hey, you want to go for dinner? We're going to talk about your death. Um, uh, then there's also now death salons, where they discuss death over craft beer. We've got a full body, <laughs> a berry-flavored lager, and hey, let's talk about your passing. Um, they have death cafes um, where you can have tea and cake and talk about your death. It's amazing. There's a, over 100 cities in North America now that feature such establishments. So, so it's common. people And now... Not only um, is it a trend that's, that's, that's kind of now in uh, these actual places we can go visit, it's also a trend online. There's a YouTube series. Don't go and don't search it now. It's called Ask a Mortician. 
And then what they do is people write in, you send in a question for a magician, and he will answer your question that you send in. And then people send questions regarding what the body would do, what does it look like when the body shuts down, what is the end. So people have questions about their bodies after they died. And it's a very, very popular YouTube channel. There's also a course now in universities. It's called um, Thanatology. The study of death and dying. Um, and the University of New Jersey started with this course, and they weren't sure you know, if people were going to attend it. So they only opened it up to 100 students. In the first day, they had to point away 400 students. Because people, they obviously, maybe they thought it was going to be an easy one. But here's the thing. I think actually it's good to talk about death. I do think it's good to think about it because... When we ask the question, what's next, that might be an answer that some of us need. Because you actually, most of us don't know exactly when it's going to happen. So that brings us to our, our theme this morning, our topic this morning. Um, we're in a series called God's Alarm Clock. And we ask the question, what's next? If God's alarm clock goes off for you and it's time for you to, to go, what's next? Revelations 20. Revelations 20 is one of those chapters in the Bible which many of you, maybe you've read on the end, end times. Some of you steer away from Revelations. You don't try to spend too much time in it because it does seem um, there's a lot of images in it and it can be very confusing to people. So, so most people don't spend a lot of time in the book of Revelations. But in, in Revelations 20, I believe it boils life down to the irreducible minimum. It's like it brings it down to the smallest common denominator. It sets an experience that we all, all of us have in common. It, it kind of breaks life down to the bare essentials, Revelations 20. When everything else is taken away and every other experience, all you're going to have left is what you find in Revelations 20. Here's the, the revelation we find from Revelations 20. Number one, we all live. Number two, we all die. And number three, we will all be raised again. That's life boiled down to the most basic components. You know what, what's going to happen in your life? We all live. We all die, and we will all be raised again. So we're going to look at these three components, and we're going to discuss them based on that scripture. So here we go, Revelations 20. See if you can find it in Revelations 20. Verse 4, we start there. John writes, I saw thrones. Is it there? Okay, awesome. Um, and they sat on and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in this first resurrection over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. So a thousand years transpires. And we find that in verse 7. 
Now, when the thousand years has expired, now let's go to verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, whose face earth and heaven fled away. And they were found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his work. Death and Hades were cast into a lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, did you find the three things? We all live, we all die, and there's a resurrection. So the first common statement that I have, the first common experience for everyone is everyone lives. Now, it might not help you to understand um, that might not be such a great revelation to you, like, I've, I've never heard that before. But um, what I hope that you will understand is as we take the word life and live, as it's found in this passage and in the Bible, if you understand the meaning of life, I think that that will help you to understand everyone lives also. See, in English, we have only one word for the word life. Uh, when it's translated from the Greek, there's one word that is used. It's the word life. But in the Greek, there are three different words that is used to describe life. So number one is a word. It's the word bias. B-I-A-S. Bias. That's where we get our word biology from. So when, when you read the Greek text and you see there's life written in there, uh, it would either be bias or the other two words which we will get to. Bias means it's a reference to biological. It is your physical life. Um, it is a life focused on the externals. Which is, by the way, where most of people spend their time. It's on their physical bodies. Their energy, their money, everything goes towards how do I look? Um, you know, what do people see? A poll asked a group of people if they could change one thing about their life, what would it be? The most common answer was... My appearance. If it can change my appearance. We want to change the way we look. Our body weight. Our hairstyles. Um, certain features on our face. On our head. Um, whatever it might be. We like to change our appearance. Most people spend their whole lives. Just on this external component. Bias. Their life is about their looks. Most people in the world is about how do people see me? What do people think about me when they see me? It's, it's bias. Life to them is external. I was always interested. That there was an illustration that I heard years ago about the processionary caterpillars. How many of you know what a processionary caterpillar is? Have you, have you, have you ever heard of that? No? Okay, I've got an imagery, and then you can see what it is. Hopefully, if it works. So that's what it looks like. Um, so, so a procession of the caterpillar would, would be, it's a kind of caterpillar that follows along with a caterpillar in front of it. So they, they, it's almost like when you go to kindergarten and, and somebody has to go to the washroom and the whole class has to go, they hold hands. And they follow the one in front. So this is what a processional caterpillar would do. So they would tag up with the caterpillar in front of it, and they would walk. And, and they can be like, I'm talking from here to the door. That's how long they can be. They can destroy a complete forest. 
these caterpillars. So, so what they would do is um, they did an experiment on them. These caterpillars would, would get out of the pine trees and they would walk towards soil where they would then dig a little hole and then they would make their, their little um, uh, thing that they live in. Uh, oh, what do you call it? What do caterpillars do? A cocoon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jeannie works in the office. She knows my head. So, um, so then they would make the little cocoon in the hole, and that's where, where they will get, go on to the next phase of life. So the experiment they did was they had a big clay pot, um, and around the room, they had the processionary caterpillars, but they didn't have a leader that was leading them somewhere. They had all of them attached to each other. So they were basically walking in a circle. But in the middle of the pot, they had the plant that they would usually eat before they would go in. So their food was there. And they had the right soil that they would usually go and make their cocoon in. So everything was set up. What was interesting about this was, is these processionary caterpillars went round and 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 round until um, they died of exhaustion and starvation. Not one of them broke ranks to get a piece of the plant which was right there in the middle, to get to their food source or to get to the soil where they can continue on with the next process of their life. There are some people that live like that. They go round and round and round and round and round, going through all the same routines, not really going anywhere. There it is. Thank you, Kaylee. That's what they look like. They go round. Not really get, giving thought to anything else. Like, listen, there are many people in the world that, you know, like, it's so, so strange. Anjo had friends that we used to invite them um, to the Christmas production. He had friends that they were at the age of 14, um, and they would come to our Christmas production, and then afterwards ask the conversation, so, so who's Jesus? Like, who's this? They've never even heard of of life after death, or the thought that there is life. It's not part of their minds. It's not part of their lives. It's completely outside of their, their focus. They don't think about it at all. But they go through life every day. I get up, I exercise, I eat. This is kind of what I do. Now, that is the word bias life, external life. Then the second word to describe life is the word suke. It's where we get our word psychiatry or um, psychology. That means it's the inner life. Um, this refers to personality, what we think about. Jesus used this term when he said, if you want to save your life, you must lose your life. So if you want to save your bias, external, physical body, you must lose your psyche. <laughs> it didn't mean that you must go crazy. What he meant was you must surrender your thinking. You see, you can be alive physically, but tormented mentally. You can go through all the routines every single day and feel like life is just set up so well. You've got all these normal things, but you have no peace, no joy, and no purpose. And it feels like you're just going round and round in circles. Everything's good today, but there's no real peace of mind. Now, now listen to the third term that is used for life. Um, and this is a very important one because this is the one that is used in Revelations 20. It's the term, it's not bias, it's not suke, it's not used in Revelations. Bias or suke does not come up in that chapter. But the word that is used is the word zoe. 
Zoe is a theological term, and Zoe um, is a term that, that shifts the focus off earthbound things and towards eternal things. The Bible uses this term 143 times in the New Testament. So when you think of life in the New Testament, um, when it says eternal life or everlasting life, you, do you have eternal life? Do you have everlasting life? It is the word zoe that is used in those instances. It doesn't just mean to live on and on and on in the future also. Zoe life, eternal life, doesn't mean uh, eternal on and on and on and on. No, it actually refers to a quality of life that we enjoy now and into the future. Zoe life means a godly quality of life, of being, of existence. Jesus said that whoever believes in me, now, now hear his words, and believes that the one who sent me, present tense, listen, has everlasting life. Your quality of life right now can be God-filled. You can know your purpose now. It's not something that just one day we live for when we die so that we can get to heaven. No, God says you can have a God-filled life on earth right now. That's a Zoe life. Now, now, let's look at verse 15. It says, anyone found not written in the book of Zoe? Anyone found not book, written in the book of life? That's the word Zoe. Not bias, not two came. Zoe. How does this kind of life happen? Jesus told Nicodemus, new life happens by new birth. You have to be born again. Jesus said you have to be born again. Now, I've, I've had some um, people say to me over the years, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born again Christians. And I'm like, is there any other kind? And then, yeah, you know, there are so many denominations, and I'm not one of those born-again ones. No. Do you know that no one is in heaven who is not born again? It is impossible for you to enter heaven without being born again. That's what Jesus says. Unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. So it is not a brand of Christian belief. It's, it's not a slogan of certain denominations. It is Christian belief. You have to be born again. So here's the question that I have for you right now where you are sitting. I want you to think through this. If you if, if you're alive, hopefully, um, what kind of life, which one of these three words would you use to describe your being alive? Are you in the bias, external, everything surrounding me, about me? Are you in, in the mental state of your own thoughts, your own opinions? Or are you in Zoe? Where you are born again and you are saying the things of the past, I am dead to that and I'm now alive in Christ. What's going on on the inside? Do you have a peace of mind? Do you, are, are you spiritually content? Do you have peace? 
Or are you just a processionary caterpillar going around and around and up and down, go to work, go to home, breathe, eat, go to work, washroom in between, wash, please, clean, um, everything else, and that's kind of what your life is filled up with. Okay, number two, second basic truth. So the first basic truth is everyone lives. Second basic truth, <laughs> everyone dies. I know it sounds elementary again, but if you just think about the poll they took in the beginning that I mentioned that I started off with, most people don't think about their death. Most people don't think about dying. So let us think about it. The Bible talks about it 394 times. Ecclesiastes 3, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, it says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, <laughs> born, born, a time to be born, and a time to die. And it's been well said over and over. I've said this many times. Statistics are very clear. Every one out of one dies. Research is very clear on that. Two people die every second in the world. Two people die every second. That's 120 people every minute. Carla, because if it's two people and there's 60 seconds, and then you take 60 times two, that's 120. So it's 120 people in a minute now that you've got them. <laughs> that is 6,136 people die every hour. 6,136. Death happens. And you can't skip it. You've heard this said before, there are only two things that are inevitable. Number one is, everybody dies. And number two is, taxes, right? Yeah. Somebody, I uh, heard somebody say that, um, uh, and it's true. Uh, they said, at least death doesn't get any worse. But taxes, every time the government meets, taxes get worse. But actually, death gets worse. I don't know if you've ever thought of it. Again, most people haven't. Death gets worse when you die and you are not prepared for meeting your creator. It gets worse. If you are not prepared and ready to meet him, that's when death gets really bad. Scripture says, it's appointed unto every man to die once, but after this there is judgment. And the Bible talks about it. So what does this mean to all of us? In the very least, it should mean we should be prepared. We should get ready. Somebody will say, well, why should I get prepared? Because once you die, it's all over. Oh, no, it's not. That's the fallacy that the Bible corrects. It's not over. We've only just begun to live. Thank you. Carpenters, one of the best songs ever written. See, in the very beginning, Jesus told a story. And, and I want to be very clear. Jesus didn't tell a parable. This was not a parable. This was a story. And I believe this was out of his knowledge of what is happening. And he said there were two men who died. One after death was in a place of comfort and one was in a place of torment. And Jesus said, and his soul went to the place of the dead in Hades. There in torment, he cried out, I am tormented in this flame. There was a consciousness after death in that story. Make no mistake, every person lives forever somewhere. 
The question is, where? Back to basic reality. Everyone lives. Everyone dies. And there's our third and final one. Everyone rises. Revelation 20 shows two resurrections. When a person dies, the body decays, but the soul continues to live um, in a conscious state. I, I wanted to, to, to jump into explaining heaven, but it is a topic that is so complicated. There is, I said to Ermery, the amount that I read in the last few weeks on heaven is, uh, uh, there is, like, it's, it's almost, we need a whole year to talk about heaven because the Bible speaks about it a tremendous amount. So much information on it. But here's the thing that you need to know is one day, the soul will be reunited with a physical body. And your physical body in heaven will be renewed, it will be restored, and it will have new capabilities like Jesus said, and like Jesus' own body. Listen to the words of Jesus. The hour is coming, he said, in which all who were in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, Zoe, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So according to Jesus in this passage, there will be two resurrections. Resurrection of life, that's one category. And then the resurrection of condemnation, that's the second one. Both of them seen in Revelation. So I'm going to read that again, Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne. This is the throne of judgment. And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All I can tell you regarding this is, I think for me in the Bible, this is one of the most serious, most sobering scenes in all of Scripture, in my opinion. It's a courtroom scene. But it's unlike an earthly courtroom. There will be no debate about guilt. There, there will be no arguing, trying to make your point. There is a verdict and there is no defense. There is a judge, but there is no jury. There is a sentence without any appeal. As the rest of the dead get raised up into the physical bodies, restored to live forever, there is judgment. And here's the good news for all of us. You do not have to worry about God being a fair judge. Our Father is just, and He is loving, and He is kind, and His heart is for every single one of us to have eternal life. But there is judgment. So just as believers, when we are raised from the dead, will require a body to enjoy the eternal kingdom, an unbeliever will require a physical body to, unfortunately, endure eternal punishment. Then I can just say, I hate preaching sermons on hell and condemnation. 
It is the most unpalatable subject, truth, in Scripture for me. But it's in Scripture. It's in the Bible. And Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. And I believe he did so because he knew its torment. He, knew, he, he knows what it's going to be like. And he would do anything and he did everything he could to keep people from it. I heard that there's a tombstone somewhere. I've never seen it, but I heard that is there. And the tombstone says the following. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up, but no place to go. But you know, that's not true. Unfortunately, every single person will go somewhere, somewhere, to the one place or to the other. And I can only think that this event of the great white throne of judgment, I think it will be a shock to a lot of people. I, I just want to make this declaration here also. I believe that we're going to be shocked with the people we see there. Uh, but I also think some of us will be shocked by the people we don't see there. Here's what, what I believe. I believe as the word says, the Holy Spirit pursues us. There is no mention of when he quits pursuing. There's no mention that says the Holy Spirit pursues you um, unto your deathbed and then he kind of quits. I believe God's Spirit is pursuing every single one of us up to our last breath and just a few moments when we don't even have that anymore. I don't think God ever quits on any person, no matter how evil or bad we might think they are. God never quits on any of his children. So he will keep pursuing everyone. I really believe that. But then it, it has this, this one passage. Jesus said, he said, many will come to me in the day and say, Lord, Lord, that we do not do many wonders and signs and cast out demons in your name. And I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. It's not about doing signs and wonders and works, being good. It's not about goodness. It's about accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior and the payment for your sins. That is what qualifies you to stand in front of the judge and not to be judged for your sins. It's about having the substitute. Can you imagine the shock of those people who thought, well, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm just a good person, right? I do good things. I, I help the poor. I do good things. And, and I think it's going to be shocking and it's going to be a sobering scene because your goodness and your good deeds does not pay for your sin. They do not pay. <laughs> there's, there's no payment for it except the blood of Jesus Christ. We see in verse 11, it says, I saw the dead, small and great. Small and great. All the somebodies and the nobodies. The rich, the famous, the poor. The kings, the queens, the emperors, the peasants, the servants, the presidents, the voters, the whoever they might be. Everybody. Every single one of us. There's not a person in this room that will not stand in front of the judgment seat of God. For us as believers, it's, it's a beautiful word. The judgment seat for us as believers is the word bema. It's the word bema seat. It is the seat of reward. You will stand in front of God, in front of the seat of reward, and he will judge and say, what works have you done for me? That does not earn your salvation. That does not determine your salvation. But what have you done in my name? And there will be rewards given to us as believers, and it's going to be awesome. Hopefully you get lots. 
But then there's the judgment seat, which is for sin and the payment of sins. So, so I hope that if you have any lame ideas about heaven and hell, that you banish them from your thoughts today because it is real. It is there. I've heard people tell me things like, you know, I look forward to going to hell. You've heard people like that. Have you heard people like that? I, I know people like that. Yeah, I look forward because all my friends are going to be there. Yeah, well, that may be true. All your friends may be there. But that's not a good reason for you to go there. And if you're thinking, oh, man, it's just going to be such a big party and we're going to let loose because all the loose people are just going to go for it. And we're going to have, you know, the, it's just going to be no control, complete, no self-control, all moral values out the door. It sounds so amazing to me. You've got it so wrong. There will be no party in hell. And Satan will not be throwing a party when you show up. He will be the chief victim in the place. He's a victim in hell. He will join in the torment, not give it. Now I'm going to close with a couple of paragraphs from a book um, called Beyond Death's Door. If you want to go buy it, you know, buy it. It's, it's a good <laughs> book to read. It's very... Like it opens up your, your, your ideas and, and understanding. It's by a cardiologist named Maurice Rawlings. He was the associate um, professor for medicine at the University of Tennessee. And he was a doctor, a scientist who did not believe in heaven and hell. Did not believe in, in the biblical idea of heaven and hell and judgment and anything like that. Until he experienced hundreds of patients whose hearts stopped beating. And then he started recording their experiences. And then he put this book together. He writes, I am thoroughly convinced that there is life after death and that there are at least as many people going to hell as going to heaven. A turning point in my concept occurred when a patient experienced cardiac arrest and dropped dead right in my office. Of course, that alone didn't change my thinking. But the fact that this 40-year-old man was screaming, I'm in hell, keep me out of hell, each time he responded to the resuscitation, did cause me to have some concerns. He wrote this, about 50% of the revived persons told of having gone to a place of great darkness, filled with grotesque moaning and, and withering bodies, crying out to be rescued from this place with an overwhelming feeling of eerie and nightmarish terror. You see, I tell you why this is important to bring up. Because the movies or the books or the stories you've heard about life after death experience have all been the good kind. Yeah, man, I died and I saw a bright light and a plate of cookies and warm milk and smiling little children. We, it's so good over there. But you don't hear the other stories. He was asked, why do others not report on that, on the bad ones? And he said this, it's because people are too embarrassed to admit them and because doctors are too embarrassed to make inquiries, inquiries into such matters. But nobody can ignore these reports, writes Rawlings. I am convinced, listening to his closing statement, he says, I am convinced there is a hell and that we must conduct ourselves in such a way as to avoid being sent there at all costs. This is words from a physician who didn't find any support at all for heaven and hell before until he started experiencing people dying. Now he says, I'm convinced. 
that we should do everything we possibly can to make sure that we stay out of hell. The reason Jesus came is to keep you out of there. You think, why, why would God, why would God create that? Why would God of love have a place like hell? Listen, that God of love sent the perfect son in whom there was no spot, no blemish, no fault, no mistake, no sin. Nothing ever done wrong to die on your behalf so that you don't have to go there. If hell is removed from our lives, free will and choice is removed from our lives, then we are robots. But God has given you the opportunity to choose Him. And He's given you the salvation so that you don't have to go there where none of us should go. Every gift, every gift has to be received. The gift of Jesus Christ dying for your sins on the cross, it's an absolute gift. But you have to receive it. God's not going to force it on you. It's not going to happen by accident. You have to say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I accept your sacrifice for my sins on the cross. And when you do that, when you believe in Jesus, what happens is automatically you are born again into a new life. Zoe. And before that, you can only have bias and suke. I'm going to call Dave up just to the piano, please. It'll be great. So what I want to do now is I want to give... I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus because I do think this is probably one of the most <laughs> important things that you can ever do in your life. There, there, there's not a bigger decision that you can make than saying, Jesus, I receive your payment on my behalf. There's nothing bigger that you can do in your life. Biggest decision you will ever make. So I want to ask everybody to close their eyes and to, to bow their heads and this is really, this is for you. It's not for any person in here. It's not for anybody else. This is between you and God. This is you saying, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And it's a very simple process to have the Zoe life. It's simply saying yes. So this morning, if you've never said yes to Christ before, over the last two weeks, I, um, last, let's say last month, I'm very excited to say that we've had 16 new believers say yes to God for the first time. People that's never said it before, which means they, they will have the Zoe life. They will have everlasting life with God. God's got a purpose and a plan for them right now. But one day they will be in heaven in a resurrected body because they said yes to Jesus. But that's where it starts. So this morning, if you have never said yes to Jesus before, and you say, I want to do it now. I want to be sure that when the conversation of death comes up, I am able to with confidence know that I'm going to stand in front of the Bema seat of God. Because I've accepted Christ. I want that assurance. What I want to ask you to do is just raise your hand and say, yes, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you've never done it before, I invite you to do it right now. only between you and God. Nobody else is influenced by this. I want to say again, I want to give you another opportunity. 
If you've never said yes to Jesus before, this is your opportunity to say yes. That stirring that you feel on the inside of your heart, I really believe that is God speaking to you, telling you that He loves you, that He cares about you, that He's got a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a life for you that you can't even imagine. Now, if you've never said yes to that voice that's inside of you, I want to encourage, I want to encourage you to listen to it, respond to it. So if you are saying, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, I want to ask you again, just raise your hand and you can take it back down again. Awesome. I know that there are some of you that, that are, are uh, you know, you want to say it again. Like, I want to say it again. I want to say again, yes, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you've, you've dwelt off. It's, there's no such thing as a second conversion. You can't be, be, become a Christian for a second time. But you can have the assurance. This is your own testimony this morning saying, Jesus, I say yes to you. For those hands that's already raised, praise God for you. But for those of you that want again, this morning declare that you say yes to Jesus and you felt like you've wandered off. You want to do it again. Raise your hand and you can take it down again. Awesome. Let us all pray together. Father God, we love you. I want you to repeat after me. Jesus Christ, I receive you. This gift of salvation. You are my Lord and Savior. Thank you for paying for all my sins. So that one day when I die, I can stand off the judgments in front of the judgment seat of God and know that I will be rewarded with eternal life and not eternal condemnation. Thank you for this amazing gift. Love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.